God will put people in your life to lead you down the path that he wants you to go if you'll just pay attention. You just heard the voice of our guest today, and he's gone through some difficult times in his life, and as you'll hear, some of his own doing, but he also offers some help and encouragement. So take some time, listen in, and be blessed. Hello, and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Hello, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining me here on Moments with Moni. I appreciate you coming on. I had asked you on to share your testimony, but first I'd like to hear a little bit about you. I'd love for the listeners to hear something about you. Yes, my name is Patrick Lewis. I am um, actually in, live in a small town in West Virginia. It's about probably an hour and 20 minutes outside of Washington, D.C. So I'm kind of stuck on the East Coast in the, in the country, but close enough I can hop into the city if I need to. And I'm a, a podcast host as well. My show is A Guy in His Bible. And um, I my day job or what I use to fund the podcasting as I like to put it sometimes mm-hmm. is I am the supervisor of our local rescue mission. So I deal with a lot of the, the homeless and, and, and addictions and things along those lines of the people that come through our doors as well. So wonderful, wonderful. I'm sure that your community is better because you're there. But it's a long road to get to someplace like that. I'm sure it is. But before we go there, I'm going to ask you a few icebreakers. Sure. Mm -hmm. A few icebreaker questions. Um, Can you name something that makes you smile? Makes me smile. I'm a beach person. Uh, I I love being at the beach, and, and when you hear my testimony, that will actually come up in that as well. Um, but and that is one of the biggest things. Just just anything to deal with the beach. I'm a huge Jimmy Buffett fan, um, so that kind of goes hand in hand with that. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing is just seeing the beach, being at the beach, ocean sounds, anything like that. Ah, wonderful! It's been a long time. Grew up in California, but I remember that. Oh, yeah. And where you live now, I'm sure you do miss it sometimes. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. North Idaho, we have a lake here and they call it the beach, but it's really not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do, you, do you have any hidden talents? Hidden talents? Uh, wow. That's a great question. Uh, nowadays, I don't think so. I'm going to be honest with you. And, I, and I'm not saying that just to be modest. I used to play soccer. I was a soccer player for 17 years, but um, that's been a long time ago. Uh, I wouldn't want to go on the field now. Um, I, I can, I, I, I like to think that I'm a pretty good listener. I guess that's a, if I had a hidden talent, that would be it. Um, and it's one of those skills that I'm Cuss honing, you know, as as I go on as well. Um, but I'm not a musician. That's the last thing you want is for me to be anywhere near a guitar or a microphone singing at all. Trust me, I can clear a room pretty quick. Um, but I, I'd say if, I, if it was any one thing, that would probably be it. Oh, good listener, I think is important. Even though mm-hmm. we do our podcasts um, and we need to speak, it's, I think, very important to be a good listener. So I can see how God is using that for your work here as a podcaster and probably at work where you're at too. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that uh, my boss always tells me is always let the people just come in and talk because you will find out so much from them if you just sit there and look at them and don't say anything. And that, and I've, I'm learning that to be true. So yes. <laughs> very true. Very true. Mm-hmm. So how old were you when you first heard about Jesus? Uh, well, my dad is a um, pastor. He, he's he's a, a pastor of two churches in town. And we I grew, I guess, for as far back as I can remember, we grew up in the church. Um, I moved to West Virginia in 1980. Um, my dad had worked for the government, so we kind of bounced around in my when I was in third grade, I was in three different elementary schools. So it was like boom, boom, boom across the country. Uh, I was in Wichita, Kansas for a little bit as well. And then we moved here in 1980. And when we moved here, um, that's when they instantly got connected to a church. And we were, it was every Sunday. There was no questions. If you were in the house, you were going to, to church. And I, so that's when I guess I first heard about Jesus 
but it was a requirement. So like many church kids that are required to go, um, it didn't stick, you know, and as soon as I was able to get out of the house, it was, nope, I'm not going back. I'm done. That, that requirement's over with and done. But I would say probably around then when I was a young kid, I would have been seven or eight then is when I first, you know, came into contact with that name and the concept of who Jesus was. Well, I think there was a journey between then and now, but I think it has stuck with what you are doing with your life now. There oh, yes. Be an mm-hmm. interim and, and we'll get into that. So, yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so in between that time, how long did it take before you responded to that message? I got saved in 2013, so that should tell you <laughs> what, what, what the interim time. was. So yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a while. I moved out of the house in 91 and that was probably the last time I had set foot in the church outside of getting married. Um, and so uh, other than that, it was, there was no interest. I didn't see any need for God in the life. Um, even though when you hear the story, you'll see that how, how wrong I was. Um, but I just didn't see any need for it. It was like something it, like so many of us do. You know, I can get by, I can do it on my own. And, and if I can't, then I'll find somebody else here in the world to help me do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my motto is life is hard, but God is good. Mm-hmm. So there's, I know there's a lot of things that hit us in life, but I know that no suffering is wasted. And it's not as if you have had some suffering in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that's what put you on the trajectory that you went on or if there was something else involved. So I don't know. Um, was there, were there people that were praying for you before you became saved? You know? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I mean, my, my, my mom, when she was still alive, she would t- tell me that all, all the time, you know, cause I have a brother as well um, who isn't exactly an atheist, but he's borderline. I guess you could say, I guess is the best way to put it. And she would tell us that at dinner time all the time when we would get together for, for, um, for family dinners and stuff like that. You, you, you guys know that I'm still praying for you. You'll, you'll come to understand the importance of having a relationship with Christ. And of course, you know, being, who we are, we would just roll our eyes and go, yeah, okay. And then, you know, go home. So, and I knew that the church that they were attending, I knew my dad's churches. Cause I would, um, even when I wasn't in church, involved in church and things like that, I would still help my dad out some because of my technical knowledge. Um, I have, a, I had an extensive background in AV and sound and stuff like that. So when he would need help, I would help him. And, I would hear that from people in his church. Oh, well, you know, you're on our prayer list. And once again, it would just be the eye roll. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. So yes. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, moms really care outside Mm -hmm. of Jesus. I think mom is the one that loves you the most. Mm-hmm. And then of course, there's dad too. Yeah, oh yeah, and, and it's, 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 um, and I talk about this a lot with people that it's difficult to think of all the wasted time I had with my mom before mm-hmm. she passed away that I could have had those spiritual conversations with that I just blew off because she passed away a year and a half after I got saved. Mm-hmm. And part of that time, you'll hear what you'll hear in my story. I was in jail and things like that. So there were, there were a lot of times that you just sit back and think, man, I could have had so many quality conversations with this person had I just come to know Christ earlier. And that's, that's difficult sometimes to live with. So, Yes. Yeah, I remember working with youth in the past and even just running into homeless people, sitting and talking with them. And usually there was a mom waiting at home and praying for them and they knew it, but yeah. they ran away from it. And I always encouraged them you know, I can only talk with you here and give you a little bit of food and, and spiritual food right now. But I think the best thing for you is if you can forgive and surrender, um, go back home. Talk That's to mom. it. Yep. Yeah. And in my job, in my day job, we have that discussion a lot, you know, well, especially with the, the younger people that come in through our doors. Well, where's your family? Where? Well, they don't, they don't want anything to do with me. And, and, I'm, and, and I, we say it so often, I don't think you're right. I think mm-hmm. you've put that wall up there that if you would reach out, yeah, there might be some friction. There might be some rules. There might be some structure they want, but it's not that they don't want anything to do with you. Oh, such an important message. I hope mm-hmm. there are young people listening and take that to heart. It is wonderful. 
Yeah. Cause there are people at home that love you and miss you and want you back. Yeah, you're right. There might be some <laughs> friction and some rules, but yep. that's okay. Life needs structure. God made it that way. He made order, not chaos. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So is there anything, I guess, where do you want to start on your testimony? What would you like to share? I'll give you open-ended because well, you have quite something here. Well, let's just start at the beginning. As far and, and um, I know you had mentioned you had heard listened to the my show of the testimony on my show, so it's going to be kind of a mirror of that. Um, if that's okay, because sure. I think you need to get the whole encapsulate the whole story. Um, and, and I started with Facebook has helped me understand how big of a hole I was in, and and by that I mean. Face one of the biggest things on Facebook, as we all know, is connecting with high school friends, connecting with people that you went to high school with, and you see all these memories pop up, and oh, remember this, and and I, I realized it probably about last year, maybe the year before that, that I don't remember any of this stuff. When I would see stuff pop up, it would be like, well, I kind of remember that person, but I'm not remember this event and whatnot. And as I got to thinking about it. And I do a lot of journaling. I think it's very important for any Christian to journal. It's guys, it's not a diary. So don't do that. It's a journal. And I think it's very important to do that. And as I would go through, I would, I would think, well, why don't I remember this? I have a vague recollection of this or whatnot. And I started, and I came to realize the biggest reason was because even though I wasn't like a social isolator in high school, I had friends, I was involved in things, stuff like that. It was all for show. And by that, I mean, I was a massive depressive throughout this entire time. Um, and when I say throughout this entire time, that was from as far back as I can remember, uh, middle school is really when my first memories are, to be honest with you, all the way up through until I got saved, which was in 2013, I struggled with this, but I didn't want to admit that I struggled with it. Um, so what I would do is I would just fake it. It would just be, it would be an act for the people around me. And then I would come home and just pretty much shut down and lock myself in my room and not do anything. Mm-hmm. And um, this went on through all the high school. And like I said, I played football, I played basketball, I was in the, the theater, um, theater club, all of that stuff. But it was all like kind of a facade. And then when I say I was a depressive, it was, I would wake up in the morning mad that I woke up. And then I would go to bed at night, hoping I wouldn't wake up. And all through the time I was awake, I would be not wanting to be awake. It was 24-7 every day. That's, that's what my life was for, like I said, 20-some, 25, 26 years. That's what it was. Um, I, when I got out of high school, I went to college. It was the same thing. Uh, when I stopped going to college, uh, okay, now i got to make money. <laughs> when, you, when you stop going to college, you got to make money. So I became the obvious choice for someone who doesn't want to be around with anybody and doesn't want to... Um, interact with anybody. I became a wedding DJ. So, cause you don't ever have to interact with people doing that. Right. So, so it would, but it would be the same thing. I would go do jobs on the weekends and then Monday through Thursday, just come home and lock myself in my room and have no contact with people. I would go out to, you know, lunch or dinner with my dad or, or my family every now and then uh, my best friend would come over and visit me and we would ha- hang out in the apartment or something like that. But it would never be, the, the rest of the time, it was, I don't want to have anything to do with anybody. And now, this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I interrupt you there? Sure. Well, I remember you saying that the people at church were saying, hey, Patrick, we're praying for you. Mm-hmm. So was it in, something inside of you? Do you know, was it a medical condition? Was it, why were you, did you feel as if you needed to be a recluse and stay away from others at this well, point. Well, no? it, it was a medical condition and I'll get to that because it, it, I actually found that out when I went to jail, which is the, oh, okay. which is kind of the culmination of the story. Yeah. But, we but it was together for good. <laughs> exactly. Love God and are called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so the, the, and, and this would have been in my mid twenties, right before I got married and well, before I actually met my ex-wife is when this would have been taking place. And um, that was my first suicide attempt. Mm. Um, and, and I mentioned the beach. I was like, you know what? That's the only place that I have 
even a little sense of happiness at all. Mm-hmm. So I hitchhiked down to the beach. This was back when it was semi-safe to hitchhike. I would not recommend anybody doing it today, but it was semi-safe to hitchhike. And, um, and that was it. I, I was done. And um, like I say in, in my story, I took, you know, bought a bottle of sleeping pills and either didn't take enough or God said, nope, not today, because all I did was wake up the next morning really sick. Mm-hmm. And, and that was it. Um, so I came back. I called my dad and they came back and that came down and got me and I stayed with them for a little bit. Then got out again. People once again, thought I was back on the right track, thought I was heading in direction. I actually got a real job in, in things along those lines, started DJing again. So and, do you mm-hmm. feel like you were able to fool them again? Were you doing Absolutely. that? Yeah. Absolutely. It was a total show. It was a total and complete act. Just trying to um, understand so that if anybody comes across someone like this, I know I do, and I, I try to reach mm-hmm. out to the one that's in the corner of the room. I, of course, I'm yes. an extrovert, and that may shut down an introvert that's trying mm-hmm. to stay alone. But I still try to crack that shell. Yeah. It, well, on my show, I'm trying to get him on. I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the people involved in this story um, was one of my old roommates who I'll get to in a second, who actually became my business partner at one point in time. And we lived together for about two years. And I'm trying to book an interview with him on my show to talk about just that. What were the signs that he saw in me that if you see these things, if you're around somebody that is acting like this, to know to ask them to get help or just try to seek help for them. So that's something your listeners, if they want to know more about, I'm trying to get this person onto the show so we can talk about just that. Great. So. I'll share that in the future too then. I'll let you continue. Sure. Mm-hmm. So um, so I came back and um, like I said, I, I've got a job. Um, I, got, I got married at this point in time, um, which was a mistake for many different reasons. But and there was a child produced out of that marriage. And then I got divorced. Um, obviously, I never told her about what was going on in my head in any way, shape, or form. I don't even think to this day she even knows, to be honest with you. And then moved to another town nearby and got another job and was working and worked for that other job for about five years while still DJing. And then it started to get worse again because it was kind of ebb and flow. It, it would always be there, but sometimes it would be a lot darker than it would be other times. Uh, so I ended up getting fired from that job I had been working and moved in with the guy I just talked about. Um, he, he had had a place, in, and I was an old high school buddy. He said, yeah, come on in. I'll rent a room from you, that kind of thing. And during this time, my best friend, who I had known since college for 20-some years, and I were in business together in, as part of the, the um, DJing company, and I needed some new capital for the company because there were some things I wanted to do. The guy I had moved in with, and, I, and I'm bringing this up to sh- show the lack of complete caring I had for anybody. Um, the guy I was moving in with said, well, I'll give you the capital, but I don't want the other guy in the company. So I was like, okay, fine, fire him. Now, this was somebody I had been, you know, best friends with, had been the best man at my wedding. I had been in his wedding. We talked to each other every day, whatnot. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know. That was the attitude I had towards life. Whatever. If it, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, oh, well, no biggie, you know. And so we ended up doing that. And um, of course, I didn't talk to that, that guy for over a year when, after we did it. And at this time, it was getting worse and worse and worse. Because of the relationship I had with the roommate and the new business partner, it, we, it, we, we were always fighting. We were constantly at each other's throats. And we were living together at the time. Um, And finally, on Labor Day weekend of 2013, we had done two weddings. They went horribly. We we didn't talk. We were screaming at each other when we did talk. So I said, you know what? I'm done. You know, it was like, that's it. I'm done. So I get in the car and drive down to... A beach, <laughs> a big shock. Another beach. And, and, yeah, exactly. Because once again, that was the only place that I had any sense of even a little glimpse of happiness. Um, so I was just going to jump off a balcony. I went into a penthouse suite and that was it. I was done. And I stood up on that ledge looking down and I can still picture it. 
I can still picture the, the spot I was going to land and still hear the ocean and still picture the smells and everything. And this is where is part of the story that I like to really stress. Depressives, which is what I was, are incredibly selfish. And, and, and that sounds harsh to say, but that's the truth because they only think of themselves. They only think of what will happen to them and things around them. And as I was standing on that ledge, and I was literally seconds from jumping off, I remember it was being the first time that I thought about what, what I was going to do was going to affect other people, how it would affect my mom and dad, how it would affect my brother, how it would affect my, my friends and things like that. And I'm convinced it was God that put that in my head. Mm-hmm. Now, I wasn't saved yet. I didn't get interested. It wasn't a miraculous Paul-like on Damascus Road healing. Um, I wasn't. So I got off the ledge and started coming home. Well, this is the part of, this is the legal part of the story. Because <laughs> um, as I was driving home, the car that I took was the company vehicle. But it wasn't registered in the company's name. It was registered in my roommate's name that I had been living with. And he had reported it stolen. So on my way home, I get picked up by the police. They, for being in the stolen vehicle and do four months in jail because of that. Um, As I get out of jail, I literally walk out with nothing. Um, All the wedding contracts we had had to be sold off to somebody else because I was in jail. You know, so I, I, my reputation was gone. But while I was in jail, while I was on suicide watch in jail, which is one of the most humbling and humiliating experiences you'll ever have. And I hope, pray nobody goes through it. Um, You're basically put in a room that has windows all around it. You're wearing a U-Haul blanket as the only thing that you're allowed to wear that's Velcroed because they don't want you to harm yourself. And um, while I was in jail, I just got on my knees and was like, you know, God, if you're out there, isn't that how all the prayers start like this, right? Mm -hmm. God, if you're out there, when I knew he was out there, I said, God, if you're out there, I'm done. I, I, you know, I, I, and I, and I kept thinking those, yeah, I didn't do it this time, but I'm going to do it. You know, it doesn't matter how long I'm in jail, whether, cause I was facing like 10 years, which we all knew that wasn't going to happen, but that's the maximum I could have gotten and stuff like that. And I said, if you're out there, I'm done. I can't do this by myself anymore. And the next day is when they had me talk to the psychiatrist at the jail. And that was the first time I'd ever talked to one uh, because I refused to admit I ever had a problem. So Mm -hmm. I didn't need to see one. And she explained to me what was going on. I mean, she said, if you have a child and that child breaks their arm, are you going to take them to the hospital and get a cash put on the arm? And I go, of course you're going to. She said, well, it's the same thing. This Mm -hmm. is the cast for your brain. You can't wrap your brain in something. So the drugs, that's what it's for. So she put me on 25 milligrams of Prozac. She said, we're going to start there and see what happens. And within 30 days, the cloud was gone. Mm. It was done. Um, and once again, that's when I, that's the point I got saved. It wasn't because of the drugs. It was because I knew then that the entire, my entire life had led up to that point because I had been trained in public speaking my entire life through wedding DJ, even though I was doing it through a fog, doing it through a cloud. I had been trained in that. I had had the experience of the AV stuff through that process. I had been in Toastmasters. I had been on the debate team in college, those things. Even though I was seeing it as I'm just doing it to do it, it's fake. All of that gave me training to do what I do now. Hmm. And, and, that, and that's how I look at it. So still in jail. My mom's still alive. And I, my dad comes and visits me. And I'm like, Dad, I, I need, I want to start reading the Bible. I need to start reading the Bible. Even though I went through Sunday school and all that stuff, I don't, you know, where do I start? Well, most people will say start in John. And I think that's the standard answer to that, right? And I think that's a good answer. It's a good place if you're a new Christian to start. But my mom, who was wheelchair bound and couldn't come visit me, had written me a letter that my dad gave to me. And she said, I know you you need to start in the middle, what, what I call the Pauline letters, the middle Pauline letters, right? Ephesians, Galatians, Galatians, Philippians. And I was like, okay, I'll start there. And I started reading it and I came to a passage in Philippians that 
all of a sudden was like the light bulb going off, you know, the fire, boom. Okay. There it is that being right there. And, and it's, you, everyone has that, what they call their life first or however you want to put it. And this one instantly became mine and it's Philippians four, eight, you know, finally mm-hmm. brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are. Yes. And I realized my entire life, I had been pouring nothing but garbage into my mind. Mm. When I was sitting at home doing nothing, I would watch, how to kill people TV shows, you know, criminal mind, CSI, that kind of stuff. I would listen to music that even though it wasn't, you know, cursing or anything like that still wasn't the greatest thing to be pouring into your mind. We, I was big into serial killer stuff, reading serial killer, all that kind of stuff. Mm. And that's what kept pushing the darkness and that cloud deeper and deeper and deeper into it. Mm. When I started removing those things, and, and I like to do a demonstration of this when I preach and when I talk to the guys here, I'll use a demonstration of a um, empty water pitcher. It's, that's how I start with. And there'll be an empty bottle of water on one side and Kool-Aid or something on the other side that's colored. And I said, okay, this is the, the empty bottle of water is the things of God, the pure things, the things that you need to put in your mind. And then the, the other colored thing is the worldly things. And even if you put just a little drop of the worldly things into it, you're never going to get the clear water back. But you have to continue to pour more and more of it in to dilute that stuff. What I've been doing was just putting nothing but Kool-Aid in my mind the whole time. Yes. And that's when I, and, and that verse is what triggered it for me. That verse was, okay, this is what I need to pin my life on from now on pour those things into my mind that will be beneficial, that will help me grow in my relationship with Christ. And from that day on in that jail cell, that's what I've been doing. I try, I I try not to watch movies that are going to mess with me. I try not to watch stuff on TV. I try not to read things that I know are going to be counterintuitive to that verse. Everything I do and put in my mind is centered on that verse. And I'm still in the medicine. I, I make no bones about that. I'm still in the medicine and I encourage anybody who is struggling with this to go see a psychiatrist, find the medication that works right for you because it is that cast idea. It is that idea of, you know, if you're hurting, you get it fixed and nothing irritates me more than people in the church that say, Oh, people who are suffering with mental illness just need to have more faith just need to pray more, just need to do this. No, they need to go get put on medication because that is what will help initially. Then you can start the Bible studies and that stuff. But if until I started doing the medication, if somebody had put a Bible in front of me and said, read this, <laughs> no, nope. Even as a Harry Potter type novel, nope, I, I, I'm not interested in that because I didn't care. And that's what people really need to understand is a depressive, whatever you want to call it, bipolar, manic depressive, or whatever, you know, scale you want to put it on. The core key factor of it is the person doesn't care, mm-hmm. period. That's what it boils down to. The person could care less if they wake up in the morning, if they go to bed at night, if they step off the street and get hit by a truck, I didn't care. And that's one of the biggest things that I like to get across is when you see somebody acting like that, that's the time to step in, call the suicide hotline, call for them. You know, Hey, here you go. Hey, i got somebody on the phone. I want you to talk to. Hmm. If that's how you have to get them talking, that's how you do it. And, and that's, that's my story in a very big nutshell, I guess you could say so. Well, I want to thank you so much for sharing all of that, because I know there are people on both sides of this, both the person that might not be caring at all and those that care so much for them that Mm -hmm. don't know what to do. And you've given us a lot of insight into what was going through your head at that time, all through your life of not caring. Uh, My own life, there's a bit of a twist on that because of a thyroid issue. Mm -hmm. Um, since birth and getting to my fifties undiagnosed and then having to have it taken out because it grew too large. Well, my, I did massive research and realized that I'm going to lose those hormones 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go through a time because they, they let your hormones drop so low that it's almost like the synapses don't work correctly. Yep. So I asked, told my husband, don't let them put me in a home you know, during that time. I'm, uh-huh. I am come back after I got the medicine, the thyroid medicine, not what they normally give you. I did research. I went on to armor. So it gives you the full range of those hormones and all of that came back. And mm-hmm. I believe that that was a gift from God so that I could see what other people go through. Sure. Because and the thyroid is one those. of yes. the thyroid is one of the big things and people don't realize that because I've done research into it as well, because one of the things they were going to switch me over to was lithium and they started it and, and that's the instant they started it. That's what they discovered. It was seriously messing with my thyroid uh-huh. and the thyroid and the brain are very much connected to yes. each other and people don't realize that sometimes. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, after it got so low, there was a moment where I would just have to say, they call me Omi, my grandchildren. I'd have to say, Omi out. In a moment, I'm dropping. So I need to go to bed right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but, I understand that, that there's a physical reason for these things that, or, or a physical cause that might be going on and really need to be checked into. Yes. Uh, and, and it's more, yes, we pray for you. We pray for wisdom. We pray that God will give you wisdom to find out what is wrong. And doctors, some of the doctors have good answers for you, but you need to fight for that good doctor to find that out. Yes. So mm-hmm. from this point on then, um, how is God working in your life after you were able to find out this medical reason for the depression. Oh, well, um, I got, I, my, my, uh, judicial journey was quite interesting, which I won't get into oh. now, but cause there's a, there's a funny component to that, but, but I got out of jail. I ended up doing four months combined in two States. Um, and I stepped out of jail and the day I stepped out of jail was January 4th, 2014. And I had nothing. Literally, my dad picked me up at jail and said, you can't come home. My mom was in really bad shape at that time. And he was a primary caregiver and things like that. And he's like, you can't come home. Mm -hmm. I said, all right. So they took me to the rescue mission. Um, And this is where I'm going to plug. If you have a rescue mission in town, support it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. A, uh, most of them, most, I, I, I shouldn't say most, a lot of them, like the one that I'm at and, and work for, don't take government funding. They're all supported privately through churches and, and other things. And the reason they don't take government funding is because they can't give the gospel when they do. Yeah. There's other strings attached to that. Um, so he took me to the rescue mission. And he's like, you got to figure it out now. You know, you, you're going to have to figure out what you're going on. So I said, okay. Um, now I was saved at this point and I knew I was. And the first thing I did was I got on Facebook because where else are you going to go for any information? <laughs> and I said, uh, and I asked my friends, I said, okay, I need a church to go to. It's got to be within walking distance of the rescue mission because I don't drive. Um, and I started getting recommendations and my dad being a pastor in the denomination he's in gave me, said, okay, you want to go, you check this one out, but don't go to this one. And he kind of knew, you know, as well. So I started going around in doing a church tour is what I call it. And I, and I still joke about that's what I was doing, you know, go here a couple of weeks, here a couple of type thing to get a feel for it. So you're saying that we need to be careful about the churches that we go to. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely think so. And, and I don't think it's necessarily, I mean, a couple of things that you need to look at are, are they teaching the whole Bible? That, that's number one for me. Um, I'm not calling any specific group out on here because I do that enough on my show. Um, but, but are they teaching the whole Bible? Are they teaching repentance? Are they teaching preaching sin? Are they teaching those kind of things? Or are they just wanting you to walk out the building happy? Now, that's um, quite a statement after hearing, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Mm-hmm. God really You're, did transform your heart and mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I, um, I firmly believe that when you walk out of a church service, it doesn't matter if it's yours, if you're watching something online, because I have a group that I watch online as well. I firmly believe that you shouldn't, 
what's the best way to put this? I don't want to say you shouldn't feel happy, but you should feel challenged. It shouldn't be, all right, I got my dose of sunshine for the rest of the week and I can go about it now. No, you should be challenged to improve your life when you walk out of that church. So if you are looking for a church, if you're moving into a new town and looking for a church, that's one of the things I would say that you need to do when you're watching and when you're meeting with people and, and all of that plays into it because church is a family, church is a social group, it's a social structure, all of that plays into it. But are you feeling challenged when you walk out of the building? Are you feeling, man, this is really something I want to work on this week that I heard from the message. And there were some churches I went to that I didn't feel that way. It was all smoke and mirrors basically is the best way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, And a good friend of mine who I'd known for years said, well, come on up to the church right up the street from the mission. I said, all right. And she's like, well, come Wednesday night. And I'm like, no, 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 no. The first time I walk into a church is not going to be for a private Bible study. No, no, I'll be there. And, and, and I knew her family. And I, all right, well, I showed up Wednesday night and she wasn't there, which, and I still joke with her about this to this day. Um, but it was one of those situations when I walked in, I instant, it was like, even though I had never been there before, everyone acted like I'd been going there for 20 years. Mm. And that's the other thing I think you should feel in a church is a sense of, acceptance a sense of hospitality when you walk through the door and every everybody's going to feel that differently everyone's going to do it differently um and that's why i've been since then i did take a little break from it last year um just to step away a little bit to get some other things taken care of but that's why i've been since then um i within three weeks i was taken over their av department um and then i became a deacon after that for a couple years and now i do chores you got chores Hmm? in the house of god Yep, that's it. That that, that was it. Yep, and then uh, and then I I do all their social media. Uh, um, now that's that's what my role is now. Is we're going through a period of transition at the church, rebranding the church, and updating a little bit and things things along those lines. We have a new pastor. It's funny, our new pastor came in in March. He preached one week and then couldn't preach again until like two weeks ago. <laughs> because of, I'm like, that's not exactly how you want to come into a church. But yeah, he preached one week and then we had to shut the whole church down because of, of the pandemic. And we yeah. still joke with him about that. But um, yeah, the, that's, you know, kind of my story is. And then I do the work here at the rescue mission is all Bible based as well. Our, our entire goal, our entire program is creating disciples. It's not just helping the homeless. It's not just getting giving people a bed. We are a, stru- a structured program where we create disciples. We drug test. We do breathalyzers. We put guys in RU and CR if they if they are unable to mm-hmm. get over their addictions. Um, you know, we have this one-on-one discipleship courses that we do. We do chapels every day. That's so. That's what my job is now. Is I. I always tell people, and I and I bring up the rescue missions, not just mine, but all of them. If you want to find a place where you can do discipleship and witnessing, go to a rescue mission. Because number one, they're going to be open for you to do it. But also, that is the most fertile ground to actually go witness that you will ever find. It's the most difficult ground you're going to find to go witness because nobody wants to hear it. But that's, that, that is where you need, that's where people need to be going, especially in this time. Because I think the homeless segment falls through the cracks when this pandemic hits. Yeah. Um, yeah. Our church is very active in the local union gospel mission. Yeah. You mentioned CR. I know what that means, but can you tell yeah. the listeners what that is? Yes. It's a celebrate recovery. It's um, Rick Warren's um, is the one who founded it and kind of created the curriculum for it. And they've really gone blow, exploded across the country. Now, um, normally they meet on Friday nights. It, it seems to be the night they all meet. It's not a 12 step program. It's a complete life transformation program. There are, there are certain curriculums you go through in it, but it's a lifetime Thing. I know people who've been in CR for 12, 14, 15 years because they continually finding ways to help themselves. They might be out of the addiction they initially went in for, but they're always finding ways to, to, to better themselves in it. It's not just chemical addiction. Um, a, lot, a lot of the other ones um, deal with just, you know, the drugs, alcohol, the big three, drugs, alcohol, and porn. Those are the, you know, the big three addictions in the country. It's not just that. It's, you know, Anger, anger management, 
it's shopping addiction addiction i'll no problem admitting that i do if it's an apple product i gotta have it when it comes out it just, oh, it no. just is no uh, it's for us <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh so but but that that's that's what it is it helps you in a biblical way it's all bible-based christ-centered addiction the other one we use is called ru which is reformers unanimous um, it, it's kind of based out of the Baptist church and a, a lot of Baptist churches will use it. It was based out of a, a guy from Indiana in Indiana, no, Illinois, uh, Rockford, Illinois is, is where it originated from. And they're both, once again, extremely Bible based programs. They're not what I call the alphabet programs in a, those kind of things where the mm-hmm. doorknob on your door can be your higher power. That's not, that's not what these are. They're, they're completely God centered programs. So. Of encouragement and accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad God, it sounds like your marching orders are very clear right now. And God has given you the insight into what people might be thinking, even though they're not saying or, or are saying something else. Mm-hmm. You can almost see right through it because you've lived it yourself. You're, you're right. And, and it's, it's hard to, here, here's the thing. When, when, when we fired my best friend from the company, he was one of the first ones, to, uh, well, the only other one besides my dad to come see me in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, Oh, well, here we go. <laughs> you know, here, here comes the, I told you so's and all that stuff. And he had just started getting involved in his church at this time. So once again, God will put people in your life to lead you down the path that he wants you to go. If you'll just pay attention. And, and, and that's so important to, to know, um, because he didn't berate me or why'd you do that to me? Anything. It, it was the only thing, look, I'm here for you. We're praying for you. Whatever you need, let me know. When you get out, we'll sit down and talk. And we actually did form another company when I got out. And we did it up till last year. We were doing wedding photography until both of us just got so busy with our day jobs, we couldn't do it anymore. Um, So pay attention to the people in your life. But if you're one of, if you're struggling with something that I struggled with, pay attention to who God is putting in your life Mm. and look and see, are they trying to take, take, take from you? Or are they trying to help you and you're just putting up a block and not allowing them to? Yeah. Uh, my best friend has told me multiple times, I knew what was going on. He's like, you weren't that good of an actor. That's how he puts it every time. You, you know, you think you're fooling everybody. Exactly. Uh, he said, you weren't that good of an actor. He said, my problem is I didn't know how to help you. Mm-hmm. And my response to that, if, if you're in that position and if you have somebody in your life that you, I mean, something is definitely not right. Something is going on wrong here. The easiest way to help them pick up the phone and call that suicide hotline number, because that is the path they're on. Everybody I've talked to, everyone that I haven't done interviews yet with, but there's certain people I want to do interviews with on my show as well. Um, will say that 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 is the path they're on. If you are in that cloud, in that black cloud in your mind, that's how I put it as a black cloud in your mind. If you have that, that's the path you're on. You, you are headed towards taking your own life. Um, you know, when, when people like Robin Williams and Anthony Bourdain, and you read those stories of those suicides and people are going, man, I don't understand it. Robin Williams was the happiest and the funniest guy. And all, that's the public persona. Mm-hmm. That, that Anthony Bourdain, that's the public persona. And that's what I was doing. I had the public persona when I would go do weddings, I would be the life of the party. And, you know, and, and everyone was shocked when they found out what had happened to me because I got very close to our wedding clients who are still friends with some of them to this day. And they would say, we had no idea because apparently I was that good of an actor for them. But, but, that's you have to look for the signs and if you are close to someone that you're seeing those signs with plead and beg with them to get help because you might be standing over their grave one day from a suicide if you don't take that action and i'm not laying that on anybody's feet saying you're responsible for it but you we need to start taking that action when we see it and the 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 hotline is the way to do it call because those are the trained people. I'm not trained in doing it. I've lived through it. I have no medical clinical training in dealing with it. Those people on the end of that hotline are the ones that you need to talk to. 
you who've gone through it don't feel like you're able to help in their way. So then there are people that haven't gone through your walk and feel even more inadequate in that. So do you have that number memorized? Can you? Uh, I can give it to you real quick. I had it pulled up here. It's 800-273-8255. That's the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. Um, now, they will, um, they want the person on the phone. So if you call that number, you can't say, well, I have a friend. Now, they might be able to counsel you a little bit on, okay, take this action or this, uh, but they want the person that's going through it on the phone. They want to talk to that person. So like I said, one of the things I, I would do, and I haven't won anybody that I need to do it yet, I would call the number with the person standing right there beside of them. And then, hey, someone wants, I got someone on the phone who wants to talk to you. Don't even tell them who it is. Because if you tell them who it is, they're not going to get on the phone. That is, that's the approach that I would, I, if I ever run into this situation, that's the approach I'm going to take because I don't want somebody up on that ledge knowing I could have done something about it. I don't want somebody walking in buying a bottle of sleeping pills knowing I could have done something about it. Even if it's, yes, praying for them, putting them on prayer lists, things like that. All great things and all things I would encourage anybody to do. But when you have the ability to do something else, please do it. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, mm -hmm. I am. Um, oh, I'm at a loss for words right now. <laughs> I know there are people out there that will benefit from the information that you have shared. And I also appreciate that you had a few people around you that showed you grace at the mm -hmm. end of all of this, because it's so easy to not show grace when you've been hurt by someone. The, well, and, and that's, that's the, 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 the kind of the wrap up for me is the person that I took the car from and was living with and, and all that stuff. It hopefully I'll have on my show in the next couple of weeks. He was left holding the back because when I disappeared, we had 17 contracts booked for weddings in that four months. And he was a business partner when he, he was just as responsible for him as I was. So he was the one that was left holding the bag. He was the one that had to fill in or find people to fill in and things along those lines. And it took about a year for us to talk after that. And he is a celebrate recovery um, counselor, actually. Uh, he, he has a, he has his own company where he does um, church media and audiovisual installs. That's what his company is, but he also is, is heavily involved in celebrate recovery. And he, he, he messaged me one day on Facebook and said, I, I want to, we want, I want to sit down and talk with you. He said, because I don't feel right about going into these classes that I'm teaching people how to get over things on and how to move forward with their life in celibate recovery while we haven't done that ourselves. And I said, that sounds great. So we sat down, we had a, a nice long dinner, we talked and we're great friends now. He's actually doing an install for my church this week. Um, for his company is. So don't ever think that, people that you may have hurt in the past don't want to hear from you. Yes. Don't, don't ever think that you can't go back to somebody and say, look, I'm sorry for what I've done. I, I, I and I, I'm asking for your forgiveness for what I've done. If you do that and they don't do it, they, they say, absolutely not. Don't ever contact me again. That's on them. Mm -hmm. but it's on us to actually make that effort to actually put that olive branch out to say, I'm sorry. And it's hard. It's, and for guys, especially I'm not being sexist here, but for guys, it is very hard to do that because we're prideful and we want to go that person. don't want to talk to me. Fine. I'll never talk to them again. Then but that's not what biblically we're called to do. Biblically we're called to go. What's it say? If you go to the altar to make a, sacrifice and you have something against your brother, put it down, go get it taken care of, then come back. Mm -hmm. and, and all of us have those th things that we need to put down and go get taken care of. I still do in, to my, to my, to this day in my life that are, yeah, I don't really want to talk to this person, but I know I have to. Mm -hmm. 
That's our responsibility now as believers. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh, thank you so much, Patrick, for Absolutely, sharing your Mara. heart today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you died tomorrow, what would you spend the rest of your time doing? If I knew I was going to die tomorrow, what yes. would I spend the rest of my time doing? Um, I would absolutely spend as much of it as I could with my brother. Um, and, and, I, and I bring that up because there, during this time that I was going through this, there was a time period, even though we lived seven miles apart, that I went probably 11 years without talking to him. Um, and it was a little bit both of our partners, a backstory to it that I won't get into. But and it was actually, God works in, in mysterious ways. And you don't even try to put a human mind around it. Because there was a time, all the way up till probably three months ago, we were friends on Facebook, but we didn't talk to each other, never messaged each other. I hadn't seen him since my mom's funeral, which would have been in 2015. And we lived six miles apart. Um, I would hear, you know, stories trickle down from my dad. He was kind of our conduit communicator telling stories about each other. And then one day, just out of the blue, he messaged me on Facebook and said, man, I miss having a brother. And he's going through some things in his life right now. Um, and he's like, let's, you know, let's reconnect. Now, both of our schedules are so busy, we haven't been able to do that, but there's a communication open there. There's a line of, you know, texting and Facebook messaging and stuff like that open there. And that's what I would do. I would spend that last 24 hours trying to let him know how important a relationship with Christ is, how, how it's changed my life and how moving forward in his life, it can help build what he's going through and help him what he's going through. And then I would have lunch or dinner with my dad one last time as well. You made me cry happy tears. <laughs> Reconciliation mm -hmm. is what God is all about. Mm -hmm. it, it, yes. it is. It, uh, the, the story of the prodigal son always comes to mind when I talk mm -hmm. about my brother, because I can see him doing the, why are you allowing him back? thing. Five, uh, five months ago, I could have seen him doing that. Now I don't really see him doing that. So oh, praise God. Okay. Mm -hmm. Onward, Patrick, sure. continue doing the work that God has called you to do. Thank you mm -hmm. for sharing your life. Hope Absolutely. to see you again. Thank you so much for the time, Monica. If you've enjoyed listening to Moments with Moni, you can find a lot more information on the website at momentswithmoni.com. There'll be background information on each of the podcasts, a way to subscribe, and information to connect in many different ways. Thanks so much for listening.